Um, speaking of white people in 2004, let's talk about Naruto. Welcome to season six, where we're phoning it in. You don't think critically and then put a Pop-Tart into your body. I am highly caffeinated and minorly concussed. Aruga, aruga. What came first, the love sack or the gravity gun? It's my turn to do a sin with Sonic. This is for the freaks. <laughs> Too much piss. That's the kind of bad decisions we like to hear about. Love me a sleepy ass bat. How much shrimp can you fit in your mortal body? You told me you guys would be cool. That's season six intro material right there. Hello and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and how nothing has made me want to play Alan Wake more than the Game Awards did when they featured a four-minute Broadway-style performance of an original song and dance. Have you guys seen that yet? No? What do you I have not know? seen a single second of yeah. the Game Awards. Also same. Jeff Keighley's Game Awards happened uh, a couple days ago of this recording, uh, Thursday the 7th of December. And it's like kind of the new big event in gaming. Um, now that E3 is is torched, more or it's less, all, it, it's all we have. <laughs> it's all we have. Uh, so there's the summer, there's summer game fest, and then there's the game awards, and which are both Jeff Keighley joints. And uh, <clears throat> this past game awards, this the one on they, they just aired. There was obviously Baldur's Gate three ran away with everything uh, yep. because it's it's the masterpiece of a game. It's the greatest game ever made. But um, part of this was much like in the Oscars, how they do performances. The uh, the Alan Wake team did a live performance of a song from Alan Wake Two, and like the game creator was like up on stage dancing with a bunch of actors. It was like kind of fun, um, but it was all over Twitter. So I love that. Yeah, that's it's fun. Uh, right. Everything I've heard about the Game Awards was no one got to do anything fun except Anthony Mackie got to talk for like fifteen straight minutes. Oh yeah, because they announced uh, season two of um, Twisted Metal. <laughs> Really? Is that what that was? Yeah, that's oh, what that boy. was, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, also I have written here uh, that and 2014's Deadly Daycare starring Christy Carlson Romano are the two things that are driving me toward being an eventual Alan Wake fan. That's not anything. Tune in next year to see Andrew <laughs> Tune in next year to see stream Alan products. Wake on Twitch, yep. probably. So I'm just going to jump in because today's flavor text is going to be a bit different from our normal A to Z about a certain game or franchise formula. And this came about because I was talking with um, today's commissioner at Sharkbait on Discord. And they asked me if I had ever looked into why religion is such a common trope in anime and Japanese games. And I, I joked about the trope that we all, used, the, the, we all use here about killing God with the power of friendship in anime. And that kind of led to the topic, the question that we're going to answer to in today's thesis, which is, why do we always kill God with the power of friendship? A question many are asking. Everyone's asking all the time, always. That's how this would start if it was a clickbait article. <laughs> a question that everyone is asking today is, why are we killing God with the power of friendship? <laughs> so to understand why religion seems to be such an influence on Japanese media, we have to start at the beginning. That's right, nerds. Today we're doing a good old-fashioned history lesson, an IRL history lesson. Blah, 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 blah. The thing people love to come to podcasts for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I beg to disagree with your sarcasm based on the sheer amount of history-based podcasts, <laughs> Tom well, Thomas. You, you make a good point, yeah. One was among your most listened to podcasts, Todd. You showed us. <laughs> Behind the Bastards is your top yeah. podcast. No, I, I realize, I realize. The other thing I don't want to miss here is that 
Andrew prompted us with a question and didn't say the answer may surprise you, which makes me think that the answer will not surprise the us. The answer super <laughs> will not surprise you. The, the answer right. is very tame and um, yeah. unexpe- and very expected, yes. Now, folks, sitting front row and distracted by the warm hum of my outdated overhead slide projector are my fellow students, Todd, Shinra, Thomas, Kyle, Genova, Harper, and Matt Sephiroth-Cole. Oh, I know that last one. You know that <laughs> last is, one. This is all Final Fantasy. They're all, they're all Final yeah. Fantasy bosses. They're all, they're all Final Fantasy VII antagonists, but they have to oh. do with our main topic today. Now, before we get started, I do want to shout out the video essay that uniquely inspired this episode and really served as the main framework, um, which was originally sent over our Discord by at Chrissy Lynn earlier this year, back in uh, June, I believe. And that video is called quite literally why do you always kill gods and jrpgs um the user is moon channel and i will link the video in the show notes it's a very good video it's about an hour and a half and it is i'm gonna go through the major beats of that video don't don't come for us h bomber guy don't come for us (laughs) h bomber guy i have already sourced my material here okay so normally when we do these we go around and say you know what do you already know about this topic instead I would like everybody, without reading ahead, to guess who the big bad of today's discussion is. Kyle, would you like to go first? Since I think you were you were about to answer um, a little who bit. Who the ago. big who the big bad of it is? Um, yeah. Who is our big bad of today? Um, American imperialism and uh, the scientist Oppenheimer. Okay, they're my two my two <laughs> solid two guesses. guesses. Hey, solid guess. I want to go last because I think I. <laughs> I was drinking with Andrew yesterday, and I think I might have heard him yell the answer. Uh, you may have heard me yell the answer. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Let me ask you this question. Maybe this is out of line, so if you don't want to give me this answer, that's fine. But can sure. you give me like a range of where in history we're talking about? Like, can you give me like a like a starting point? We are literally going to start at 1000 BC and then end up in modern day, present day. Oh, okay. Then my guess is Christianity. Okay, good guess. Ooh. Good guess. When Todd said he might know the answer, that's where my head went to. Yeah, so. I, it was either Christianity or it was American imperialism in the scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to say what what you think you heard? Yeah, because I think the I think the end of those. So see all of the above. I think is kind of the answer because <laughs> yeah. um, if I recall Andrew saying it way too loud yesterday. Um, capitalism i think will be uh, the villain uh, today yeah. which is just b- what you both said put together uh-huh. under one blanket what yep. is what is not christianity and american imperialism with the scientist oppenheimer if not capitalism that's kind of that's kind of the like going into your like sunday school class and writing jesus loves us forever answer though <laughs> yeah, like mm-hmm. yeah, it sure is so it's always it's always the, the bad guy's always capitalism to to tie it all together much like shinra Genova, and sephiroth are all antagonists to final fantasy 7 those three ideals that you mentioned are antagonists to today's episode so great job wonderful they're the, they're the mini bosses to they are the mini bosses <laughs> the power creep if you will all right guys so we're gonna start all the way back in ancient Japan. So this is predating, you know, 1000 BC. And to understand Eastern religion, we got to start with Chinese Taoism. It's spelled with a T, Taoism, but it's pronounced Taoism, which has work recorded as early as around 1000 BC. That's where we're starting. So Taoism is both. Do you guys, is it, any of you guys know much about Taoism? 
Oh yeah, dude. I had to read the okay. Tao of Pooh in high school. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. It's a real say, Siddhartha kind of move. Yeah. I know pop culture Taoism because which is, I've also read the Tao of Pooh. Like, it's yeah, not, which is mostly the, what you need to know for today's discussion. Yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll place myself in the bronze medal uh, recipient yeah. of these three. We've we've all had a pothead roommate or have been that pothead roommate <laughs> at one point. <laughs> So Taoism, for those who don't know, is both a religion and a philosophy. It's all about living in harmony with the Tao, or the natural way of the universe, also known as you could define as reality itself. It's It's all very inward-looking, inward-facing, centers on the idea that your world is shaped by your perceptions and how you interact with it. It's the Force. It's the Force. It's what the Force ripped off. It it is the... Honestly, I think it, it best represents eastern mysticism or like the Mm -hmm. the idea of eastern mysticism or how how the west developed eastern mysticism sure now Taoism is still practiced today in china and in many other surrounding countries asian countries even in the west we have the new age movement which like i said is very much eastern mysticism inspired by the tenets of Taoism, along with other eastern religions Um, another ancient chinese religion confucianism was popularized around its themes of climbing the divine ladder and ascending to godhood. And then finally, we've got Buddhism, which originated in India, but quickly made its way east, and it was very popularized in China as well, follows similar threads, but focuses on one's own personal enlightenment and journey to achieve nirvana. So we've got three religions, which all have very similar themes. They have different names, they have different concepts, but similar themes. Um, a fun little note here is uh, Dragon Ball, the original Dragon Ball, not DBZ. Um, Dragon Ball is actually a light retelling of a, no- a 16th century Chinese novel called Journey to the West, huh. um, hmm. which is very much rooted in Confucianism, Confucianism Buddhism, and Taoism. So I, did, I did know Dragon Ball was going to be a, a big through line today. Hmm? There's a lot of it. Um, I've, heard, I've heard the uh, comparison of like these these Eastern religions to Western religions of um, Western religions kind of focus on like the answer, the mm-hmm. answer quote unquote is yeah. outside us yeah. and Eastern religion focuses on like the answer is inside us. So and- I want, I want, mm. that's a really good point that Kyle dwell. And I want, I want you guys to sit on that point for a second. Cause that's going to be really important as we go through how religion shaped Japan. Um, and how religion shaped Japan throughout the centuries and how that's kind of iterated today. So that's a, that's a, we'll come back to that point. Okay. Getting my gold stars today. You're getting your, you're getting your gold stars. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, a lot of these, as mentioned before, these are all individualistic, uh, concepts, but they all, also these religions were all pantheistic, meaning there is divinity to everything in the world, essentially, you know, think paganism, right? Where deities are intangible forces of nature versus your uh your single monotheistic like christianity or even like greek roman gods like where they you know zeus and poseidon and things like that okay so meanwhile we go to now ancient japan ancient japan developed a lot later than ancient china um the written language was adopted later in china and uh the first recorded ruler of japan was around 500 uh, I think that's 500 BD, BC. I haven't incorrected my notes. Um, the first recorded ruler of Japan, uh, recorded as Queen Himiko, adopted Chinese Taoism and Buddhism um, around 500. Uh, that might be 580. 
Um, it is AD. Thank you. Thank you. So Taoism's idea of ascension and mortality ran as a strong theme and then mixed with Japan's own native beliefs at the time to create their first kind of official native religion, Koshin. Now, Koshin is a mostly dead religion. We're not going to talk about it much, but it does live on in the imagery of the three monkeys, see no evil, speak no evil, and hear no evil. That's where that comes from. Hmm. Um, so this first image in our imager library, and I will state here, as we usually do with these flavor texts, there is a small imager library. The links are in the show notes. If you're uh, following along, not driving, uh, please feel free to uh, check it out and follow along on the, on the pictures. So image one is a, a very real snap of uh, a temple in Japan that still depicts the three monkeys from Koshin. So... For today's discussion, Koshin is really only important because it eventually involved in what we know as Shinto or Shintoism today, which is Japan's dominant religion as we know it. Shintoism, from Shintoism comes Japan's creation myth, myth which is the country's oldest recorded document. And the creation myth, myth, while again, think the Greek myth, you know, it's very much folklore. It's not like God created the world in seven days, right? It's it's more of a Greek myth kind of it's, deal. It's understood that this is yeah. a a myth. It, it's not. It's understood that this is a myth. Not God not, pooped not out accepted. dinosaurs and people in this in seven days. Well, the ark the ark was big, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> they built a replica in Kentucky Man. using tax dollars. Let's all be cool. Our agnostic to atheist pipeline in this podcast <laughs> in these seven <laughs> years has been quite a journey. <laughs> We'll all be uh, respectful, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Only mild blasphemy will be committed <laughs> Only mild No, no, everyone just own your blasphemy. It's not the official yeah. stance of Debate This HQ. 2024 is the year of owning your blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's all a right. hard line. That's <laughs> good. That's really good. Somebody put on a t-shirt. Okay, so back to Japan's creation myth. Uh, the myth states that a series of 17 deities were formed from the creation of the heavens. You've got the five genderless deities and then 12 or six pairs of male, female, male god and goddesses. And they all acted as the progenitor deities, a.k.a. the kami, K-A-M-I. Now, these kami birthed more like minor deities who represented the various forces of nature and reality. I looked at this and I was like, holy shit, that's Pokemon. <laughs> that's- <laughs> yeah. Somewhere somewhere around the fifth or sixth generation, Pokemon yep. stopped uh, being like, let's adapt everything from Shinto into a cute mm-hmm. animal collecting game. But yeah, um, it's definitely there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. So among the major deities uh, were a few named Izanagi and Izanami which are considered the beat, you can consider the Zeus and the Hera, the, the progenitor deities. Um, these are, I would say, one, this is Arceus in Pokemon, but two, um, Izanagi and Izanami are featured very heavily, along with a lot of the other gods. They're featured heavily in the Shin Megami Tensei series, which includes Persona. Image two features Izanagi as adapted in Persona 4, and I added him because uh, Izanagi is essentially like your signature persona in Persona 4, the main te- the main protagonist, kind of like the um, the magician guy is in Persona 5 that you guys know from Smash Brothers exclusively. Okay, so go back for a second because I'm having a hard time drawing the line between this and Pokemon, and I think it's because I don't really know enough oh, sure. Pokemon deep lore. Kyle, do you want to take that? If I can try, and Andrew 
correct me. It's more that it's more of the um there are deities and spirits for every elemental force and yeah. um yeah. and like aspect of our life than than it is the the specific like yeah. these are the 12 got like, it named deities mm-hmm. that everyone who follows Shinto knows about yep. and it's more the like the at home aspect of it of like everything in your house has a has a spirit has yeah, pretty a much. divinity to it cool that's yeah. Yeah. more the pokemon connection yep excellent yeah that makes sense thank you um amaterasu is the goddess of the sun and uh, if you ever played 2006's okami that game is a retelling of Amaterasu's story from folklore. Um, that mm. image from Okami, Amaterasu is the main character in Okami. That's image three. Uh, that's the the white wolf that you've probably seen somewhere. Is it a white wolf in no like Shinto? No. Okay, just that's Amaterasu just a... is just a yeah, just a goddess. Is yeah. this is this a play off of um, Nine Tails as well? Like the Pokemon that the, the... Nine Tailed Fox is very much a a folklore thing. That's different, but mm-hmm. but you're you're on the money for sure. Okay, I will jump in because I don't know where I'll have a better spot yeah, here please. too. A lot of my familiarity with this is also going to come from Magic: The Gathering. They did mm-hmm. uh, the Kamigawa set was a, a pretty good, but still whitewashing of <laughs> Shinto. Sure. Uh, they did their best for for two th- for a, a team of white people in two thousand four, um, but um, that's. That's my another touchstone I'll have here is they yeah. they adapted a lot of this into that set. Um, speaking of white people in 2004, let's talk about Naruto. So <laughs> <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> so uh, so uh, there's and again, there's a lot of these stories that I'm not going to go into. But one of them is uh, is the, the mighty warrior Susano, who's kind of like Hercules in, in this folklore. Uh, Susano defeated the evil Yamada no Orochi who was an eight-headed serpent demon and this person of this entity appears in a lot of certain a lot of various forms. Yeah. For example, the main antagonist in Naruto for those first couple arcs, Orochimaru. Oh yeah. So he is mm-hmm. he is image 5. Um image 4 is the mighty warrior Susano uh, as depicted in Final Fantasy 14, critically acclaimed Final Fantasy 14 cuz obviously the whole like major heroes of lore fighting giant snakes or hydras yeah is it's good stuff i, I get it like it's, yeah. i yeah i really love the imagery that like populates across religion because mm-hmm. the like the snake is always yeah. this type in every everywhere yeah. it shows up it's it, it's, it's one of those things where all of these, like when you start to learn about all these cultures, like at first they seem so foreign, but the more you dig and, and, and I think we're going to find that a lot here too, is just like, it's such, it's so similar. It really is. Like it's the same thing through a different cultural lens. It's like, yeah. this is very, uh, diminutive, but like, it's like dumplings versus pierogies. Like, they're, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all a right. common meal. It's stuff wrapped in dough and sure. steamed, like, but <laughs> they're their very own, very specific thing. Um, yeah. All right. So by the eighth century, the various tribal states of Japan were all following a mix of Shinto, Buddhism, and Taoism. 
And soon these different dogmas would lead to a sort of feudal system where the noble elite wielded their own versions of Buddhism for political power. Again, sound familiar? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this resulted in several wars being fought between these tribes fighting for their different variations of Buddhism because it wasn't like Christianity where it was one singular kind of thing. It was all of these different variations yeah, of dogmas. That's what Christianity is known for. Every Christian in the world agreeing on, <laughs> that's fair, on yeah. dogma. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, back in the in the Crusades sure, era. But yeah, sure, you're right. You're right. Sure. You're right. <laughs> um, fair, fair enough. So armies were led by warrior monks of the nobility class, and this period of civil war would go on until about 1192, which marks the era of the shogunate. So 1192. This is where we get the the period of time known as feudal Japan, formally. 1192 marked the beginning of the first shogunate, the Kamakura shogunate. And this period uh, was a unification of the country under the shogunate, which was like military rule, essentially. This is also where we get uh, the emergence of the samurai, uh, which is a ruling class. So... You know, think like the Knights Templar in the Crusades. Like these are both nobles, but also knights. The generalities are not too different if you Mm-mm. know what feudal Europe yep, was like. Very similar. Um, the the knights were nobility in feudal ro- Europe. They had owned land, had people work for them. So too did the samurai. Um, yeah. The code of chivalry and the code of the samurai aren't terribly different. And the fact other. that, like, again, all this was being influenced by religion and they were mm-hmm. fighting over religion right like mm-hmm. that's that's kind of at the center here so now the now keep in mind the rule of the shogunate would actually last all the way through 1868 um so passed through the middle ages the renaissance however there would be several periods and for several periods of shogunate different dynasties uh, essentially and and all of these are kind of like bookended bookmarked by periods of more civil war so again not a great time um, so we've got, after the Kamakura shogunate, you've got the Ashikaga shogunate and the Tokugawa shogunate, uh, among others. So at this time, um, Buddhism expanded to become the dominant religion among the nobles, the samurai, and then eventually the commoners. And this is where I want to go back to Kyle's earlier point of the difference of inward religion versus outward-facing religion. So as the commoners started adopting Buddhism, they were looking at these tenets of ascension and self-enlightenment and the idea that like, hey, you yourself can become a god. What happens when commoners realize that they can improve their own stature? They revolt. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking, fucking metal, dude. So, <laughs> so we, get to, we see a series of literal peasant uprisings during this period. And, good, and this, good for them. Good for them. Unfortunately <laughs> for them, uh, this movement was crushed by a series of three samurai warlords uh, who would eventually become deified in what would become Shinto. You've got Oda Nobunaga, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and Tokugawa Yasu. Now, those names may or may not sound familiar, specifically Nobunaga. If anyone who's played Dynasty Warriors or um, the uh, uh, real-time strategy series Nobunaga's Ambition, you may have heard these warlords. Or not. Mm. So a series of unrest quelled the uprisings and culminated in the Edo period of peace, which started in about 1603. And this marked the, the last era, the last chapter 
of the samurai and the shogunate rule. Now, we, you guys may remember when we talked about Demon Slayer, the anime, a couple years ago. We actually talked a little bit about the Edo period, which is the very much the period of Japanese culture that I think everybody thinks of. It's the temples, it's the the kimonos, it's the, you know, all of the like very classic it, yeah, Japanese yeah. stuff, right? Mm. Like like if you think of America in the past, you think of yep. like the frontier. If you think yep. of Europe in the past, you think of knights and dragons, yep. same this is this is also like the Renaissance for Japan. This is where yeah. we get you know the painting of the the Great Wave, right? You know, right. We all, we all uh, know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, part of this period was was that Buddhism was now being cracked down upon and brought down by the nobility, who were now all in on Shinto. So again, your parallels to Renaissance era England. We've got we're we're Catholic, we're Protestant, we're Catholic, we're Protestant, right? It, it again, it's all it's all the same shit. Um, meanwhile, so during this time, it is also it's during the Renaissance. So we've got we've got Western explorers, and in 1543, two Portuguese explorers accidentally found themselves in Japan and would become the very first two Westerners to set foot in the on the island. A few years later, a Portuguese Christian missionary arrived in Japan to start converting people because that's what Christian missionaries do. That's what they do. That's what they do. do. Yep. So ring your bells for those of you that have them. (laughs) So the the entire, like I said, this entire period of shogunate rule was much, there's a lot of parallels to medieval Europe. However, the shogunate period of Japan did not progress in the 1600s to the level of the West. So at this point, by the 5th, 17th century, Japan economically and technologi- technologically was a lot less, more inferior to the West. I had heard, and I don't know that the source on this is 100% reliable, I had heard that the main difference here is that by this time, Europe had... Um, proto-capitalism or capitalism and japan didn't so there was the yeah there were the countries in europe were were competing to yeah. out progress each other europe had naval fleets yeah um, that was you know we had they had slave trade slave labor right so all of those things definitely so the rapid expansion and industrialization in europe was not happening um on yeah. this side of the world where where Japan's like isolationism mm-hmm. was kind of kind of they didn't feel the need to yep. compete against anyone else they were keeping to themselves exactly yeah. and so actually this is this great this is that is exactly what happened and um quickly after christianity started to spread the shinto uh, nobility very quickly outlawed it as well as buddhism and uh this outlaw kind of expanded and led to a strict ban on people from leaving or entering the island at all. So this is where we get that first taste of very, very strict isolationism, as Kyle mentioned. Hmm. Um, this was also, you know, and this is the fall of the shogunate, so people in losing power do what they tend to do, which is everything that they can to regain to retain that power. Right. So, yeah. you know, they start, they start enacting these draconian rules, these ineffective policies essentially just completely torpedo the economy. And by the 1800s, um, the shogunate was, was to be completely dispelled. 
Interestingly enough, the final nail in the Shogunate's coffin was a man named Commodore Matthew Calbraith Perry of the United States Navy. You know, Commodore Perry from the beer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> are they one in the same? They is are the... one in the same. This is wild to me because I have, mm-hmm. when you do this, the notes that we can kind of like follow along with, yeah. and then the Imgur. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I saw picture six in the Imgur. Yep. You sure did. And didn't lead ahead in the notes. And I was like, but how? Uh huh. And where? I have yes. also been wondering how we got to Great Lakes Commodore Perry. <laughs> one of one of my favorite Great Lakes beers. Yeah. I mean, I, I put two and two together. I'm just very shocked that they're the same Perry. I thought yeah. same Commodore. I thought it was a <laughs> yeah. I thought it was an odd coincidence, not a like, oh no, it's the same guy. Good. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Um so anyone listening who doesn't live in the Great Lakes region, there is a there is a regional brewery uh, series of breweries called Great Lakes, and they're one of their signature beers is called Commodore Perry IPA. It's pretty good. Hey everybody, Andrew here. Okay, so quick errata: the Great Lakes Commodore Perry IPA is not actually based on Matthew Calbraith Perry. It is instead named after his younger brother. Oliver Perry, who was also a naval commander and who also happened to be serving around this time, but is most known for earning the title the hero of Lake Erie, which, I mean, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, something, something he fought at a, at the Battle of Lake Erie, which is a lot more Ohio lore than you probably were looking for or needed today. But there you go. Uh, Oliver Perry is Commodore Perry's IPA, not Matthew Perry. Great. Thank you. Yeah, so Commodore Matthew Perry, which I also find was, I thought yeah, was pretty funny. Good. I thought that was the guy R.I.P. from Friends. Yeah, R.I.P. yeah, yeah. I thought it was the guy from What We Do in the Shadows. You got one more in there? Uh, I'm good. All right. Uh, We're, no. Great. <laughs> That's restraint. <laughs> That's restraint. Commodore Perry arrived at the shores of the capital of Edo, because this is the Edo period at the time, with an armada. And, and this was an armada very much meant to forcibly open the trade routes under direction from none other than President Millard Fillmore at the time. Now, you, what do you Commodore mean Perry, none other than Mil- <laughs> Millard other. Fillmore is not exactly an infamous president? <laughs> Famous war criminal Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore, <laughs> yeah, is is mostly known for having the name Millard. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but was a war criminal. <laughs> yeah. Do y'all know a lot about the Mexican-American War and how basically like in order to start the Mexican-American War, the American troops literally just stood at the border throwing rocks at people and was like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I don't know, but it sounds right. Yeah. Right. So Commodore Perry arrived with a, an armada. Right. And, and it, to do this exact thing, but in water with boats. And they just stood there pissing people off and said, yo, we're going to come back in a year. You better let us in in a year. So cool. Yeah, love that. So an official. So the Shogunate was like, absolutely not. Like they're not they're never coming in, blah, blah, blah. However, an official, um, I think, reporting to the emperor at the time, which it was like a king prime minister kind of deal. An official decided like, no, we should let them in. So they did, and they they let Perry in, and they said, and that's where he said, like, I'll be back in a year, whatever. So 
when they came back a year later. The shogunate at this time had continued to unravel. There was a few more deaths, and there was a very small and sickly boy shogun. You know how it is? <laughs> yep. Um, they all wars start with a small and sickly boy. That's correct. And uh, essentially, they surrendered to the naval fleet and were forced to open trade routes and negotiations with the United States. And this would lead to an open borders treaty in 1854 between the two countries. So this led to a rapid influx of foreign trade, which completely bottomed out the already struggling economy. And the massive surge of traders, of course, brought their diseases like cholera and all of the other yep. ones. Yep. <laughs> and all of the other ones. And all of the other ones that you've heard of in the secret garden. Cholera at all. <laughs> your, your favorite your favorite diseases? <laughs> yeah, pick your pick your favorite Renaissance era mm. disease go. So, ultimately the shogun would end forever when Japanese citizens finally rose up and just straight up began murdering shogun officials and also any westerners alike. Um this was the period of the masterless samurai called Ronin, which is image 7. Oops, that's just Jeremy Renner in Endgame. <laughs> It's not even a picture of Jeremy Renner in the road. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just Jeremy it's Renner. Just Jeremy it's just Jeremy Renner. Renner. It's just Jeremy Renner. <laughs> so uh, pretty things were pretty bad in Japan, and Western powers responded in kind to this the, these assassinations, and it was made very clear the struggling Japanese state could not stand up against the powers of the West, be it the U.S., Europe, whatever. So in 1868. This led to the new Emperor Meiji rising up and taking over from the shogunate forever. And this gave way to the period of time called the Meiji Restoration. Following the civil unrest, Japan was united. Um, all of their various domains, city-states, whatever, what have you, united under one unified Japan and was divided out into 72 prefectures, which is the still the, the dividing lines that they have today. <laughs> so now we're in 1868. Um, this next period is called the Meiji Restoration, and this is the rise of the Japanese Empire. So with the, the Meiji Restoration came this period of rapid industrialization. Um, this, was the, this was Japan catching up with the rest of the world, while the rest of the world had their own industrial revolution. We also saw a unified Japanese language and, gener and just generalized modernization. So again, eschewing a lot of the traditions of the past. Um, this also happens to be, we talked about Demon Slayer. So this period of like pre-World War One was again, kind of like their roaring 20s. And that was the period yeah. of time depicted in Demon Slayer. Um, a couple of Miyazaki yes. films too. Yes, yeah. this hmm. is where we get a lot of the like, the idyllic Japanese countryside, the the return mm. to, you know, this is a period of of rapid, rampant nationalization. The well. uh the most probably like Western touchstone for people would be like the it, the Avatar the Last Airbender, with like the episodes where like the Fire Nation take over a old air temple and modernize it or something. Like that's mm -hmm. uh that's imagery <clears throat> evocative of this yeah. era. Got it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Hmm. So when it comes to religion, um, this was also the, the major move here was to unite under one monotheistic version of Shinto. So this was called State Shinto or Koka Shinto. 
Now, again, I want to bring up that, that central concept where we've got religions that are focused inward. You, you yourself can become a god. This new state Shinto was very much taken, taken on the backs of Western religions like Christianity, where it said, no, 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 there is one god, and this god is the emperor, and he mm -hmm. is our god emperor, our god king. There is, there is the god. Not, yep. not, not a god, it we, is the god. We yeah. are not gods. We serve the god. And it was, it, the, the distinction from, like, traditional Shinto is the former belief, traditional Shinto believed kind of everything has a divinity to it. Mm -hmm. And the, the Kota, Koka Shinto changes that to like, yes, everything has a divinity to it, but, but, on, but only the emperor is... Yeah. God. Yeah. 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 So as it goes, um, you know, this this really, I mean, this this catapulted Japan to become a major power. Um, they were able to catch up. They were able to quickly industrialize, build up their economy. Um, they found they saw this huge period of prosperity during the early 1900s up through World War One. And then this nationalist, super zealous government continued to grow and you know, continue to conquer outside of its borders and would eventually ally with the Nazis and the create the Axis powers in World War II, which we all know how that ends. So following the end of World War II uh, in 1947, as part of the peace treaty with the U.S. After, as after their, after their surrender, the U.S. actually forces Japan to uh, ban Koka Shinto. Um, so Koka Shinto, state Shinto, was effectively rewritten in the new Japanese constitution, um, and this was a this was a major uh, this was a major request in the U.S. because this was considered to be like a unifying. I mean, this was this is their manifest destiny, essentially. Right, right. So as a result of that, we see a post world post war Japan just completely decimated from World War II, both economically and physically. Um, Japan, as a result, becomes very secular, and at this time, many completely outright shun or avoid organized religion entirely. Now, we see Shinto, as we know it today, kind of come back, but it's more of a, again, a tradition, a philosophy, and less of a I worship blank. Um, it's, yeah, it's like it's, it comes back through superstition more than, yes. than yeah, anything. Uh, yeah, in folklore and, and you know, all these yeah. things. In its place, then, as every as everyone knows, there in a power vacu vacuum, something needs to rise to the top, and in its place rises what is possibly the most corrupt and sinister religion ever known to modern society—a god without a face or a name, but one just as cruel and vindictive as any—and that god is capitalism. Ah, uh, that's yeah. That's the pitch for the, the game Andrew's developing. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about capitalism. All right. Yay. <laughs> Fucking sentence. <laughs> Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two. Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real-play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. 
Five Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. All right, we are back. So, to summarize before we broke. Ancient Chinese religions influence ancient Japan, who then adopt the ideals of Buddhist self-enlightenment and ascension. The ruling class wields these tenets to gain power and then get usurped by the Shinto shogunate. The shogunate's rule is eventually crumbled by Western influence and is eventually overtaken by the god emperor of state Shinto who adopts this Western-inspired version of Shinto. The emperor grows and modernizes Japan, but this hunger for more and more rapid growth leads to Japan's alliance with Nazi Germany and is taken down once again by the West. Following World War II, Japan then becomes increasingly secular and outright shuns organized religion entirely. Andrew, when in this uh, summary did Tom Cruise come to Japan and show everyone that they just needed to believe in themselves and could... (laughs) Great question. Uh, overthrow their but oppressors. He, believe it or not, last samurai reference. <laughs> yeah, samurai reference. yeah, it is, John. Oh, yeah. So, believe it or not, Tom Cruise was on the boat with Commodore Matthew Perry from Friends, <laughs> and Fantastic. that's why they made the beer based on okay. his ex- exploits in the East. Good, good, good no, question. I've been, I've been trying to f- jam a last samurai reference <laughs> yeah, in all episodes. So, well done, well done. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the modern era. So following World War II, Japan's economy, like I said, was decimated. So the next 10 or so years are really just focused on reconstruction in in every sense. Um, Foregoing the tenets of imperialism, state religion, and any or any variation before it, they instead adopt westernization by going all in on both democracy and also conspicuous consumption. Democracy in democracy. heavy air quotes. Yeah. In heavy air quotes, unfortunately. So throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Japan quickly rises again as a major economic power. They do this through intense deregulation of antitrust laws, which see the rise of keretsu, or a Japanese word for massive conglomerate corporations. Oh, I didn't know there was a, what a word terrible for it. word. Yeah. I didn't either. Oh, it's a it's a like it's a it's a shitty like Six Sigma like business concept. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. Six Sigma. Yeah. So speaking of, let's talk about the six Keretsu that rule Japan. So these are six megacorps that emerged as the dominant economic power across the whole country. You've got uh, Mitsui, which is M I T S U I, Mitsubishi, you've probably heard of before, uh, Sumitomo, which I have heard before in the pharma world, Fuyo, hmm. Sanwa and the Daiichi Kangyo Bank DKB Group. These six megacorps represent corporate interests in literally hundreds of fields, and it is why, very explicitly why, we have that joke that Yamaha makes pianos and motorcycles, or <laughs> why, and I'm not kidding here, Mitsubishi makes cars and washing machines, but is also the seventh largest bank in the world in terms of assets that is just under Bank of America. Um, it's why Nintendo started as a, like, uh, playing card they yeah. started making playing cards and quickly expanded into well, every other type of game that yes but that actually is a little bit that actually is That's, a result of later the, the oil crisis i want to point oh, out yeah okay. so it's related we'll get there i want to point out image eight here which is not a sexy image but it is a list of all of the the horizontal keretsu of mitsubishi oh. just to, 
This yeah. is overwhelming. Scott yeah, there's a lot of words. 30, 30 rock vertical integration. Energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's vertical integration as fuck. This um, feels a lot like the, the graph that's like, did you know that three total companies yeah. control every yep. piece of food that goes into your mouth? It's the same thing. Every piece of music that comes out. Yeah. I was going to cite when Matt when Matt learned that three com- three companies uh, rule the world, and that this is the exact same fucking thing. Andrew, have have these six megacorps been characterized as monsters anywhere? That seems like something... You're reading ahead. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yes, uh, we're going to get to that. Um, that's why I brought up Final Fantasy VII, because... Final Fantasy VII is is a great example okay. of all of the main antagonists of the modern era. I was gonna mm. say having six like very specific mega corporations emerge yeah. feels feels like feels ripe for uh, artistic interpretation. Well, Let's. Say. I mean, we were literally talking about this in the break, but like, why do you think that the Japanese inspired Magic: The Gathering series is cyberpunk? Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know what I mean. So okay. So let's move on from this horrible image. Um, now, in effect, capitalism becomes Japan's new religion through the mid-century. And, and this is a major difference between us and, and the U.S. and Japan, right? Because we still had Christianity as like our culture and as our kind of singular God. Now, granted, like you could argue that the Christian God represents capitalism, but like, eh, we're not getting into that today. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a much more like obvious and not subtle yeah, false god essentially. Right. Um. So we see this. This and and again, like it works out. You know, they, uh, they once again they rise to a, a a massive superpower. There's a surge in wealth and prosperity that continues through the 70s. Um. The oil crisis of 73 briefly impacted the economy as it did here, and and tanked the value of the Japanese yen. But the country very quickly pivoted toward leading the world in electronics, which I I would posit is is Nintendo is an example of that. Again, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but that that was like a very common trend was in the 70s and 80s to pivot toward electronics. Yeah, that's that's where the whole hmm. like vaporwave aesthetic yes. comes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you get and you get this rise in pop culture as well. Things that are you know Tokyo Pop is a great yep. example of things that are inspired by the West but are still inherently Japanese. And we get this. You know, this is kind of this creates the the fantasy of the neon lit futuristic paradise that we see in like Blade Runner and stuff, right? Mm. However, by 1990, the promise of everlasting pros- prosperity under Daddy Capitalism begins to reveal itself as a lie as the economy took a nosedive once again and kicked off to what is now known as the Lost Decade. So this is 1990s. Now, by this time, an entire generation of Japanese citizens had been conditioned to live for work. This is where we get the stories of Japanese workers working 12 to 16 hour days, sleeping at their desks, right? They don't have a 40 hour work week like, like we did at the time. The, uh, the, and Todd knows this, but the classic joke from Earthbound is that um, Ness, the protagonist's dad, exists only as a telephone and sends mm-hmm. him money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because his dad was a wage slave. He's working all day and all night. Mm hmm. And, and, you know, when you think about Japanese culture, this conditioning really does begin in childhood, where as a kid and teenager, you know, they go to school six days a week. And yeah, they have breaks, but they have like smaller six-week breaks in the summer and the winter instead of the, wrong, the long summer vacation like we do. Students also, also, like, they have to participate in a bunch of extracurriculars. 
they're training themselves for 16 hour days because where uh, your only free time is sleeping at home. I remember this was brought up a lot. Um, the, the move to year round school, quote unquote, was mm-hmm. popular when mm-hmm. we were in yeah. uh, middle school. And this was brought up as an example of like, well, Japanese kids do this. And I remember yeah. thinking, man, that sounds like hell. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should also note, so Kyle had mentioned air quotes on democracy. Japan is absolutely 1,000% on democracy. You can't argue that it isn't. However, there are a lot of parallels to where we are in our political structure today. So uh, it is widely accepted that they've basically had one primary political party in power essentially since its founding in 1955. Um, This is the Liberal Democratic Party, or LDP, and they are very much like the GOP, save for the insanity, the Tea Party shenanigans, in that they represent conservative values and are heavily, heavily in- influenced by corporate interests. The LDP ha- currently have a majority in the Japanese House of Representatives and had for a while. However, I'll say that their majority has dwindled over the last number of years. That said, though, nearly every elected prime minister, save for like a few, have been LDP including the current prime minister, Fumio Kishida. So that's why we, it's like, yes, it's a democracy, but it's, again, it's very much like it's, there's one it's, singular party in power. Yeah. Right? They don't mm. even have the like bipartisan. Yeah. If you want to use the word like charade that, that we do, yeah. they yeah. just have one party that wins every time. And, and another one that like that shakes their fist at them to, it's know. like if, if the Democrats and the Republicans merged and it was like the democratic yeah. republican party and then yeah. any independent party so i don't want to talk about that reality no, anymore. That sounds terrible. <laughs> you mentioned that um that it's their their hold has been dwindling i i've heard that 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 assassination that happened a year or yeah, two ago Shinzo was a Abe. big mm. a big uh uh sparking of the powder keg of that change like that was yes. the like that was the like hey we can't we can kill these people. And, yes. Yeah. And and that I, I didn't get a chance to read too much into that because um, I was it was coming up on time. But uh, sure. Yeah. From what I when I read. Um, yeah. I mean, that that I think that 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 was so interesting. And it made news not because of the political ramifications, but it was just like, oh, my God, somebody got shot in Japan because yeah. nobody has guns in Japan. Their gun laws are very mm-hmm. strict. Nobody. Right. There are no shootings in Japan. That was very much like a wild thing. So it the political ramifications I think got definitely like swept under the rug a bit, mm-hmm. but yeah, Kyle's right. Um, that very much was kind of a powder keg, and 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 again, representative of Japan has been dealing with the ramifications of hyper capitalism for as long, if not longer, than the U.S. has. Um, it, hmm. It's kind of the like not his position because he was prime minister, obviously, but like if someone shot dick cheney like he this guy had the same kind of political leanings and um steer it steered the country in a way like dick cheney yeah that's that's accurate so just to kind of put a point on this um we we have here this this period called the lost decade where the lost decade when it came to 2000 turned into the lost decades and spoiler it's still the lost decade today um, and this is a period again where people are really realizing the the 
ramifications of hypercapitalism and the fact that like the only people actually benefiting from this you know from this promised prosperity are the one percenters at the top of this of these megacorp food chains which is where we are today very much uh if you go on tiktok you know it's 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 very sobering but also again like good to good to know that we're not alone in in you know what i mean yeah Yeah. that shared suffering culture and culture and the economy stagnating since the 90s can't imagine what that's like right right so we don't you know i don't i don't want to belabor it but you know just kind of to note here that japan has for years has dealt with these you know challenges with suicide massive depression isolation and a lot of kids growing up with without that very needed emotional support from family structure and things like that you know why are we talking about japan's history what does all this have to do with spiky haired sword boys slaying gods well at the root of this is the fact that art is almost always an expression of real world trauma and a very very politically friendly way to rebel right yeah. so yeah. you know that's that's where we get all of the the influential anime of the 90s you know we've we've already talked a lot about like evangelion and and how that like really kind of explored the ideas of depression and isolation um so the moon channel video that i watched does a really good job of illustrating this impact through the plot of Final Fantasy VII, which is a very silly sentence, but I'll, but I'll get into <laughs> it. So I, I mentioned it. So at the top, I gave you guys the 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 people of Shinra, Genova, and Sephiroth. So these, as you as you accurately guessed, these kind of represent all of these very real world influences that shaped Japan's present day today. So the the first leg of Final Fantasy VII and and the entirety of the the more recent FF Seven remake is spent in this this neo. Uh, neo cyberpunk city called midgar which is a, a dystopian blade runner nightmare that's owned and operated exclusively by the shinra electric company um image nine is midgar if you've ever played ff7 this is a very iconic image mm-hmm. mm. now shinra runs the town on this like wonder energy kind of like you know think like iron man one this like amazing this un- universal wonder energy called mako Mako is revealed to be the literal lifeblood of the planet. Mako is people. Mako is people. It quite literally is people. The metaphor is not subtle here. (laughs) So Shinra, obviously representing unchecked corporate greed, is using Mako to both fuel and fund their privatized military, but more importantly, funding their secret plans to build a literal promised land where their executives will escape to to avoid the inevitable implosion of the planet. Good. Good. <laughs> cool. It's just, just some good non-political storytelling. <laughs> right? why, can't, why can't games get back to this, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to be a country. <laughs> I so. tell you what, though, what's wild is that, like, what, Final Fantasy VII came out? 30 years ago something like uh, that. 99 yeah yeah so like this is the strongest pitch to play ff7 i've ever had like i'm right now matt is going Matt Amazing. is going home today to to kill god with the power of friendship Hell one way yeah, or baby. the other <laughs> we got him we fucking got him so i don't think I, you actually got him do not play final fantasy 7 matt you'll be you'll be sorely mistaken <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be in a bad way 
You'll be so sad. Yeah, watch a video. So after leaving Midgar, the party then discovers the source of Shinra's dark science, which is an alien named Genova who crash landed into the planet like centuries ago. Shinra harvested Genova's DNA and created super soldiers, promising, say it with me, a new age of prosperity and wealth, which are brought about by this alien presence. Genova is image 10 here in the Imager Library. I don't remember Genova looking like that. That is actually from FF7 Remake. Yeah, gotcha. I, was, I, mm-hmm. I bet. Um, yeah. That ties back. That is a corruption, like further artistic representation of corruption of like their, their creation myth. Because their creation myth is like... Yep. The gods cast something off into the sea, and that became mm-hmm. Japan. And like, yep. it's not gods; it's aliens. But like, yeah. Well, metaphor. What and... is an what is an alien but an alien a presence from another yeah, world that's exactly. infecting and empoisoning your 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 reality? Exactly. So we took this mm-hmm. godlike power, corrupted <clears throat> it, and made it to and used it to do capital more capitalism. That's correct, Kyle. Metaphors. So finally, so we kind of get to. The culmination of this, which is the so in the back half of FF7, that is all focused on the battle, the chase of Sephiroth, who, uh, Smash Brothers Sephiroth, if you will, oh, famous <laughs> from Smash yeah. Brothers, yeah, yes, correct. Who is the most successful result of Shinra's experiments with fusing fusing Genova's alien DNA with the planet's Mako? So Sephiroth literally represents the blending of corporate greed and the alien parasitic parasitic influence on this world. Rad, perfect, yep. amazing. Cool. Yeah, is Final Fantasy VII a good game? Has it, it been a good, a good game. game this whole time? This whole yes, time, yes, Matt. It's, <laughs> it's so funny because Sephiroth ends up on all these lists of most iconic villains, and then there's this fun subtext of like, but really, yeah, this is why he's a good what, villain. What we're saying is Sephiroth is literally Commodore Matthew Calbraith Perry, and this is <laughs> from this friends. is not this from is the not beer. important to uh, this topic, but just my understanding of Final Fantasy VII a little more. Is Sephiroth a completely synthetic creation, or is there yes. a is there a person and then uh, they like no, pumped these is... two things into a Well, Kyle, to push my glasses up a little bit. Please, please do. Here we go. Straighten that pocket protector too. He is the biological son of Vincent the the vampire gun wielder. Yeah. And okay. and uh the otherwise and the wife or the later wife of Hojo, the evil dark scientist of Shinra. I forget uh Lucretia. So he is so Sephiroth was essentially like a test tube baby that was born like was was born in the womb and then extracted uh with and then infused with Genova cells. So he is he is synthetic and organic. So there's some there's some antichrist uh Mm-hmm. metaphors going on in there too mm-hmm. good yeah good i mean it's a real it's a real pick your poison a real conveyor belt sushi's worth of, of <laughs> we can here. we can see whatever we want to see in this mirror that's yeah. correct yeah. that's correct okay so i want to talk about another one that that's going to be the the biggest the most pervasive one um i've talked a little bit about persona but the the trope of capitalism as a false god is also, I feel like, expressed really well in Persona 5, where, spoilers for Persona 5, if you're going to spend 200 hours on that game, the major antagonist of Persona, Persona 5 is quite literally a politician. Every Everything <laughs> is always, like, their dark secret that has yes. to do with, like, greed or selfishness mm-hmm. or yeah, whatever 100%. else that, that tracks. Yeah, so the game's final dungeon is in the depths of Mementos, which is a Super Smash Brothers Mementos. 
which is a huh. represents <laughs> where it is. It None is of us have played that game in two years. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so Mementos is a representation of the ugliest desires, as Todd mentioned, the ugliest desires of the consul- consolidated population of Tokyo. And at the heart of Mementos is the Holy Grail, both a very obvious allusion to Western religion, but more importantly, the literal false god that is capitalism. And that's image 11. This is the golden Holy Grail. It's not subtle. It's just a big Holy Grail. Golden Holy Grail. A massive golden cup. Yes. Uh, the so we've so we've we've got a couple capitalism as as the god trope. The alien parasite trope, I think, is definitely the most pervasive. Um, we see it most notably in Earthbound and Chrono Trigger. Um, what? Earth- what game is that? Second one. Chrono Trigger, available, I've never heard of it. Famously <laughs> available on on Switch only. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, uh, Earthbound's Gygas is an alien parasite who secretly influences and poisons the minds of all of the world's inhabitants. Chrono Trigger's Lavos is a source of magical energy that the Utopian Society of Zeal attempts to harvest for power, but is ultimately wiped out uh, as part of their hubris as a result. Um, guys, even fucking Kirby does this. Yeah, <laughs> so, Kirby. Like, think, Fucking Kirby, my, man. My pink puffball game isn't free of uh, <laughs> metaphor. Everyone's everyone's favorite cryptid monster, Kirby. Um, in one of the old Kirby games, King Dedede, a major political figure, is poisoned by the influence of an alien presence named the Dark Matter. Um, in the in the new Kirby game, Kirby in the Forgotten Lands, we meet Leongar. He's kind of like the the kind of almost end boss who was the de facto king of the Forgotten Land until his mind was taken over by an alien from another dimension. Um, that's fun. Neat. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned a while ago Dragon Ball was a retelling of an old Chinese novel. However, its sequel, Dragon Ball Z, the big bad of its first couple arcs, is a galactic colonizer named Frieza. Yep. Sure. Hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, all of, all of yeah. Dragon Ball Z's are... Um, galactic conquerors, con- aliens, conquerors alien yeah. parasites, yeah. Cell and uh, Cell and Majin Buu, Majin are Buu. also, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I I mentioned Neon Genesis Evangelion and and you know its explorations in in depression and isolation. Um, you may remember, and I know Matt knows this because he watched it, but um, Neon Genesis Evangelion also uses a lot of Christian themes and references like the the. The Bible deep lore, like the uh, the yeah, scrolls, the, the Dead Sea the scrolls, seraphim and the Dead yeah. Sea scrolls. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Christianity not an influence in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, Hideki Anno literally just said, "Like I used it because I thought it was cool and weird." I <laughs> hell I yeah, think, dude. I think that's like how J.R.R. Tolkien denied that uh, World War One influenced uh, his writing of Lord of the Rings yes. at all. Um, he might not have consciously included Christianity for that reason, but yeah, it's it's kind of undeniably there. Um, it's undeniably there and very yeah. much a presence. Yeah. So, so to summarize, to answer the questions, why do we kill gods with the power of friendship? When we kill gods in JRPGs, a lot of times it is not a literal religious god, but rather it is the false god that is capitalism. And the reason we do it with friendship is because we only have each other as the means to fight back against the one percenters. Friendship, in this example, is the idea of collective bargaining. Solidarity. Hell yeah, <laughs> Solidarity dude. and collective Great. bargaining. We are a pro-union podcast. <laughs> we are a God pro-union damn. podcast. Power to the people. Power to the workers. 
I wanna I wanna Hell like yeah. jump jump back because I like the other part of it is that that is like part of Shintoism, traditional Shintoism is that like the the everyday deities you encounter are very much killable. And that's mm-hmm. like that's where like the idea that we can work together and kill the false god of friendship comes from because like well it is just another you know like if you go out and clear the the fo- the field behind your house you've killed the the yeah. field spirit or the wildflower spirit or whatever well yeah. we can do the same thing with the false god of capitalism it's just going to take mm-hmm. big anime swords and yeah. and magic if you take one thing from today, go watch Princess Mononoke because it literally is just what Kyle just <laughs> said is don't <laughs> don't clear the fields to build iron to make more money because you will be uh, attacked by an evil tree spirit. Yeah, and then they, go play Final Fantasy 7. And then go like, play Final you, Fantasy 7. If you pave paradise and put up a parking lot, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah, that's what yeah. Princess Mononoke was about. <laughs> the Counting Crows wrote that movie. Uh, well, actually, it was Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell fine. wrote that, but yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm oh, so no, glad Ra- that Rascal, we tied Rascal that Flats did it for, for popular story, children's story with the theme behind it, Cars. That Gross. was life as a highway. That was life as a highway. <laughs> that's a pro. That's a pro highway thing. song. That's, life as a highway yeah. is absolutely anti-union. This <laughs> podcast <laughs> is pro-union and anti-highway. No, but car, the whole moral of cars is like you have to protect the world. Fossil fuels aren't are going to destroy it at one point. Yeah, but that's not what the song "Life Is a Highway" about. I know what I life heard. Is a, life is a highway is about how cool a highway is. You know, <laughs> have you seen highways? Fucking rad. All right, uh, that's all I've got for our uh, our thesis today. Any uh, any parting wisdom? Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I want to say first off to you, excellent job, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. I was. Uh, I don't know if the word nervous is the right word, but I certainly Fair. wasn't like stoked on the the concept of this flavor text not in the like i don't want to do it but just in like oh this could be dense and it it might be a lot but like well it didn't help that last night i was like get ready for a history lesson air horn air horn (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'll I'll echo that i was i was expecting a a good a good two and a half hour a good uh a good yeah. Martin Scorsese length uh, <laughs> film here, and, <laughs> and we got in in and out in a like Netflix yeah. episode amount of time. So this yeah. is I'm impressed. This is this gross. is exactly how I wanted to digest this. That like you set the stage, then you drew the connections, and that is very very cool. I, mm-hmm. I like this. This is it is cool to see you naming properties that like we're all a little familiar with, and being like, oh, that's mm-hmm. a cool direct line. Oh, that makes yeah. way more sense now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really it is like it ties up very nicely with the things that I did know going in and the general just like familiarity I have with the pop culture surrounding these areas. Um, And it's yeah, it's really like I said at the beginning, you know, what is capitalism if not Christianity and Western (laughs) imperialism with the scientist Jonathan Oppenheimer? Yeah. (laughs) You got this all is, three of you were right. This this um it it comes back to a big thing I think about a lot with art is that like if you can just peel back a few layers of the context of the time or the context the creator was like making 
art under, you can get such a richer, like, understanding of what it is. Like, Final Fantasy VII is a fun game about spiky-haired anime boys swinging around physically comical swords, or comically large swords. But, like, if you peel back just a little bit, you get that, like, oh, this is... Is this about Mitsubishi? Is this about... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like... Incredible. Um, and that, like... Amazing. Like, I think... Ev- like, we should... We should all... I would encourage everyone to examine all of your... All the art that you love through this lens. Because it is all there. However much, like... The... The... MCUification of it all wants to make it... Beige paste that yeah. has no has no underlying themes like yeah. yeah yeah well i'm glad you guys liked it uh thanks again to our commissioner today at Sharkbait, and thank you all at home for listening to debate this you of course can follow along with the arguments on twitter facebook and instagram at debate this cast or on our website at debatethiscast.com and of course if you want to commission your own flavor text head on over to patreon.com slash debate this cast a one-time payment of $60 will allow you to dictate whatever series, media, or religious religious doctrine we talk about next. Until next time, I'm Andrew Henderson. I'm Todd. The Old Testament's way more rad if you replace a talking snake with a talking wolf, dog, panther. Thomas? I'm Kyle. Beige paste, now in gray. Harper. <laughs> and I'm Matt. Six Sigma Tyrannus. Cole? <laughs> Shit, that's good. (laughs) And we're saying thanks for debating with us, and if you think we're wrong, you can come fight us behind the swing sets, nerds.